Welcome to Power Yourself, where we discuss the most important topic in the world, you. And welcome to the Power Yourself podcast. I'm Carl, and with me as always is Jillian. How's it going today, Jillian? Oh, it's going good. How about you, Carl? Pretty good. I'm pretty excited today because we have our very first guest on the podcast. And in the past, it's been Jillian and myself trying to solve the world's problems here. But today, we have a third person. So Jillian, do you, tell us about our guest today. Okay, so first of all, I'm really excited and really honored that we have one of my beautiful friends in front of us here today, and her name is Fleur Umal. She's a registered clinical social worker that specializes in relationship counseling. And just an overall amazing person who is so aware and encouraging and just one of those positive people you always want in your life. So Fleur, <laughs> welcome today. Thanks, Jill. And Carl, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much. Um, not only are we excited to help out our listeners as we explore what makes a healthy relationship and we learn what we can do to help us grow in our relationships, but this is also like a free session, I feel. So we're pretty <laughs> excited about this. This is That's great. That's what you think. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. So let me start off here with a pretty basic question. What does a relationship counselor actually do? Okay. Uh, well... I, I wrote some notes, um, so if I want to be really clinical about it, essentially my job as a relationship counselor is to try and facilitate positive communication between two people who identify as being in a romantic relationship and find that they are unable to work through or feeling stuck in some kind of conflictual cycle or hurtful dynamic that they want to break. And so they often solicit the advice of a neut neutral third party who can give kind of a, that third um, telescopic view of the relationship because when you're in it, it's really hard to know what your part is and what your partner's part is. So, Right, and I, and I like that piece, what you say about being an impartial third party because I think what some people might do is they might say, you know what, I'm fighting with my spouse. I'm going to drag my friends into this now. Mm -hmm. And they've already, they know uh, e each of the parties and they might take sides and there could be hurt feelings. So I like where you're saying, hey, uh, I'm coming into this as a neutral third party. Totally. And I think one of the things that's hard when you're talking to your friends is that, you know, people will align themselves from a values perspective. And one of the hardest things about being in a relationship with someone else is that your values don't naturally line up. And so that's often where the conflict happens. So for me to be neutral and appreciate the different values and understand the power of each of the values and how those values can come together and create something that's really wonderful is, I think, the real benefit of having that neutrality. What would you say, like I know you just mentioned how people maybe not measuring up value-wise. Mm -hmm. What would you say would be another common situation that people come to you for? Um, so mostly people come in because they're conflicting. They're not getting along. They're feeling hurt. They're feeling lonely. Their needs aren't being met. So those are fundamentally some of the reasons that people identify, you know, we need, we need to go see someone because we're fighting all the time or someone's feeling lonely or usually, and this is kind of where my job gets a bit tough, is that people are using me as that final checkbox to kind of decide whether they want to continue in the relationship. So they've done all the different things that people try to do to save their relationship. And then to, before people are kind of ready to walk away, they often just want to make sure that they've done everything they can. And so that's kind of where I tend to step in. So by the time I'm stepping in, there's usually lots of uh, patterns that have already developed that become very un um, difficult to um, uncouple, which is the new buzzword, which I hate, but now I'm using <laughs> it, which really makes me mad. Um, but that's what we really try to do. So, so do you feel that there is an unbalance, obviously, when they're coming to you? Like maybe, like I know how you just mentioned the checkbox. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm naturally going to, is one person usually checked out, maybe? Um, I would say 80% of the time people coming in, one partner is far more invested and is kind of dragging the other person in. Um, sometimes I do see it where two people come in and they're both quite motivated, but the reason that maybe they're coming in might be quite different. They're not really in to necessarily get a change in perspective or to learn new ways of communicating, but they're kind of coming in because they want me to fix their partner. 
So, um, so there's often an imbalance. So the beginning of a of a couples uh, session is often tr- for me trying to ascertain, okay, who's super, who's the one, who's the primary person who's um, initiating and and pushing for the counseling, and then finding ways to get the person who's a bit ambivalent to um, enter into the therapeutic relationship so that we can work together. Do you find that there's, um, at least with some of the people who come in, do you find that there's a certain stigma attached to therapy? Like I, I can imagine that, you know, a, a, p- a partner goes to the other person and says, hey, I want to go to therapy. And, th- and the first response might be something like, well, we don't need therapy. Uh, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with me. Or, you know, if I go in there, you know, they're going to beat me up or they're going to tell me that I'm wrong. D- is that common in your line of work? Absolutely, absolutely. I think e- whether it's individual or couples, um, people often feel like they don't need to talk to somebody. Mostly people will say something to the effect of, well, what are they going to tell me that I don't already know? Or what are they going to tell me that I can't, you know, look up on Google, or I read this book. Um, and so, and I get it for sure. I mean, there's lots of resources out there. And I, and I, I, I think a lot of people benefit from the relationship and from the therapeutic alliance, but there, there's a lot of helpful things out there like you guys that are kind of spreading the word and, and giving people something to chew on. So, um, it isn't right for everybody, but yeah, absolutely. There's that initial kind of resistance because, um, being coming to therapy requires a bit of vulnerability, right? Because I'm going to ask you a bunch of really tough questions that maybe no one's ever asked you before, and you're going to have to like speak it to this complete stranger who you don't know whether I'm going to end up on a podcast and spilling all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that there's people who come into your practice, and and I'm talking about couples here, so two mm-hmm. people that come into your practice, and they're totally in not to use a judgy judgy word but like they're totally normal in every almost every respect but they just don't seem to be a good fit oh absolutely so that that is a thing right so there's nothing necessarily wrong with someone it's just they might not be compatible no and and that's that's probably one of the things that people um i try to talk to people at first to try and help them feel comfortable in the process is is saying there's nothing wrong with you just because for the last six months your partner's been you know being really hard on you about something that you do there's nothing actually wrong with you the problem really is that is to find natural compatibility um, with someone else is very difficult because the natural um, tendency for most of us is to seek that which is opposite in the hopes of compliment right so I have a bunch of things that um, I'm not good at so I would rather find someone who's going to be good at that stuff to then enhance my life right I'm not necessarily out there looking for the same person so what ends up happening is you're you end up with somebody who's like really different from you and at the beginning that's awesome because it's new and it's exciting and you're learning lots of things but then later on you're just like why is he doing that? But like, that's just dumb. And so then, um, so that's where then the problems start to happen, right? Is that, um, you know, I, I don't know how many times you've looked at your friends and thought, how'd that work, right? Because they're so different. But then it does work eventually. But part of the struggle really is, is that you're coming in and you're feeling like, you know, we've been fighting and there's obviously something wrong with me if my partner's feeling all these things. But yes, everyone who comes in, in my practice anyway, tend to be very sane, very normal, very bright, very loving, very wonderful people. And they just happen to be in this really awful place with their partner or someone that they love, but they just can't seem to figure out how to make it work, right? Wow, that's fascinating. It's it's funny when you put it like that, that normal people are attracted to opposites. It's almost a wonder that not everybody's in therapy. Like it's almost like, wow, that seems so normal that what we would find attractive would eventually drive us a little bit crazy where we go wow this is the very thing that I wanted is now causing stress in my life Mm -hmm. that's fascinating well because I can see it as exactly what you said you're you're getting somebody that compliments (laughs) compliments the not so fluffy side of yourself Mm -hmm. so it's nice so for me now I'm kind of left with a question Mm -hmm. I guess how do you know what that balance is like what's that good little bit of difference and then where does it get to be too much like maybe not being able to make that functioning unit well I mean so I'm going to use an analogy that I use in couples counseling all the time so um, what you want right is to be a Honda Civic 
So a Honda Civic gets you from point A to point B, right? And you've got your own wheels, you've got a nav system, you're listening to your radio, and you can get there, and it's fine, right? What you want from a relationship is someone who's going to enhance it, right? So we're talking the leather seats, the cruise control, the air conditioning, the tinted windows, the sunroof, right? So someone who's not going to get in your way, essentially, right? Someone who's going to just enhance the journey. So what happens a lot of relationships, particularly relationships that start off really young, is that you're not your complete person yet, right? So then you find someone who then you mold to and then the two of you kind of end up taking turns driving being in the passenger seat but um, you're not necessarily enhancing each other at that point because you're not a complete person so what ends up happening is through this process you end up compromising along the way whereas you know if you're a little bit older and you've kind of um, traveled and you've had other relationships and you've had heartbreak and you've had all these other challenges in life you figure out who you are so then you can figure out what you need to enhance the journey you don't need someone to complete the journey with you, you just need someone who's going to make it a, a better ride um, so when people are looking for someone else to complete the journey or do the journey for them that's where we can get into a lot of trouble right so a lot of what I try to do is empower the individuals within the relationship to complete their own journey and then figure out how their partner is going to fit and enhance that ride oh, I like yeah. that. yeah see that hits such a chord <laughs> with me and pretty much Carl the whole reason I think we really started discussing this podcast and kind of trying to spread that word out there that becoming and knowing yourself is a very important part to be able to bring to a relationship I think and I love it that you just said that it, it first of all it feels validating <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome Be because I feel it's so true I believe today especially today in age we chase something to complete us mm -hmm. and I feel that's such a scary thing to do because I think to put that stress on somebody else that you're gonna fill me up mm -hmm. you're gonna make me happy wow mm -hmm. that's that's hard stress to put on an individual or yourself but alone another individual that doesn't hear your thought process or understand your feelings well, so. and if you can't figure out what's going to make you happy, how's anyone else going to? Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny you mentioned about being young and getting into relationships when you're when you're young and you're not a complete person. Uh, let's switch gears for a second and go if you get maybe older clients who come in mm -hmm. and maybe they've been together for a long period of time. And over time, it's natural that people grow and change and evolve. And, and unfortunately, not everybody grows and evolves in the same direction mm -hmm. all the time. Is that another common piece of Huge. your practice? Yeah. So what I find as people come in is that they've done kind of, they've kind of taken a break from the marriage because they're busy building careers, they're raising children, they're managing their elderly parents. And so then eventually, like when some of that stuff settles out and you have time to reconnect with your partner, all of a sudden you're looking at someone who may or may not resemble the person you thought they were. And so one of the struggles that couples have, and one of the first things I break down is I, I, I kind of encourage people to stop assuming they know who their partner is. Give your partner a chance to tell you who they are and if you can do that with some vulnerability and if you can receive it with empathy and compassion, then that's a really great um, fertile ground for us to start working in, right? But when people come in, they're just like, well, you never used to be like that. It's kind of like, well, yeah, you never used to be bald. So let's just <laughs> go with that, right? So part of it is, is how do we move away from how people are supposed to be to where people actually are now? And and because some of the trans transformations we make are so individual because of our careers and changes in our roles from single person to wife to mother to grandmother, like all those different roles, it's kind of like, yeah, how do you kind of get to re-know your partner given that they've had all these changes, right? Wow, so that's fascinating. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And I think a huge part of a relationship is really knowing and checking in with each other. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, is there anything you would be able to give advice to the listeners, mm -hmm. like something that they can remember and be like, Oh, I remember that girl on that podcast telling me mm -hmm. to something to be aware of or like check in. Like I know you mentioned vulnerability, right? but like some advice that you would 
offer the listeners just so they can practice. Thank you. So this would be like for a new client, for example, like somebody listening today and maybe they want to come in and say, hey, maybe therapy would be for me. I would say even take a step back. Okay. And maybe they just want to make sure they're bringing it all to the relationship. Oh, interesting. So what's something that you can advise people that they could start doing today? So one of my most favorite things to to help people um, begin to shift um, when they're stuck is I encourage people to be curious. Like that's my most favorite thing to give us homework is can you just go out there and be curious, right? So if we put it in the context of a relationship, it's kind of like, can you be curious about your partner, right? Instead of coming home and assuming that they were too tired to make dinner or do the dishes or that they had a hard day at work and so you don't really want to get into them around what do they do and all that kind of stuff, come home and ask some questions. How was your day? And when your partner says, oh, it was okay, follow it up with, well, what does okay mean, you know? So how do you, how do you just go a little bit deeper? How do you stop staying at the surface and dig a little bit deeper. Now, this is where the vulnerability piece comes in because I think people, we want to sometimes stay at the surface because the deeper stuff is hard work. It takes a lot of energy. And I know like most people, you've had a long day and you just kind of want to numb out and watch your Netflix show and go to bed, right? We get into our routine. So this act of being curious can be really difficult because you don't know what you're actually opening, right? So what if you say, well, what does okay mean? And then your partner all of a sudden breaks down in tears and says, actually, it was a terrible day. My boss came in my office and yelled at me. And then I went to school and the teacher thinks I'm a terrible parent and I've done. And I talked to my sister and she was really mad that I didn't do X, Y, Z. Like, so then your partner breaks down and is a sobbing mess. And you're just like, uh, really, I'm going to rewind and just say everything's fine. <laughs> right. right. Because now you have to like get into it. So, so as hard as this is, this is how you're going to reconnect is how do you be curious again? How can you begin to ask your partner those questions that you remember asking them when you didn't know them? Right. So, People always say, well, I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the relationship when everything was good. This is how you get there. Because at the beginning, you ask lots of questions, right? You didn't know exactly how they liked their steak. You know, you didn't know, did they like red wine or white wine? Or did they like to hike in the mountains? Or are they more kind of an indoorsy person? So go back to some of those basics of trying to get to know your partner again. I really like that because I, I feel like we always hear, just out in the world, we always hear, oh, relationships take work. But nobody ever really says what the work is. So I really appreciate you illuminating mm-hmm. that that is something tangible that we can all do starting today. You can be curious in another person's life mm-hmm. and see what the benefits are. Mm-hmm. I love it. And the thing that I kind of go back to here is that I feel we all recognize that we need to put work into our jobs, our career, but I think we slack off <laughs> when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. So I love it that you're just saying, wait a second, your relationship takes energy and mm-hmm. effort. And if we want it to be fruitful, you got to put that in. Yeah. And what I really like too, is that I, th- I feel like sometimes if something's not easy, we tend to think, well, something's wrong. But what I hear, y- but what I hear you saying, Fleur, is that because we are different people, because mm-hmm. two people in a relationship have different values, different histories, different cultures, you, you have these two totally different people coming together and it might not always be easy and that's totally normal. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just we have to then recognize that and it will take work mm-hmm. being curious and so on. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a perfect world, you'd get two clients coming into your practice who say, hey, we're, we're in a relationship together and we both recognize there's issues. Is it possible to counsel people who don't feel they need counseling? Like if one partner wants the other person to show up, uh, but that other person doesn't want to, mm-hmm. h- how do you overcome that hill? Well, I mean, uh, partly um, <laughs> I'm good at kind of trying to dig at, you know, even if you don't think you need counseling per se, there might be something that you're struggling with. So fundamentally, I try to dig at, you know, if you, are you struggling at work at all? Are you struggling with your family? So most people struggle with something. And so um, it's a little bit harder because then you, you don't want to turn a couple session into an individual session. And sometimes that happens just because I'm trying to get to know one partner um, a little bit more um, is just essentially 
I get to be curious about them. So I say things like, well, you know, so how even something as simple as, well, how well are you sleeping? Do you get enough exercise? Do you feel like you have balance? Do you ever get burnt out? Tell me about your job. So I just get really curious and eventually we'll stumble upon something that someone will eventually feel is safe enough to actually talk about in counseling. And from there, the therapeutic alliance begins. And then from there, I'm able to cultivate that therapeutic alliance into creating a very trusting, safe environment for people to come and unload. Um, So my partner, Jason, always said when we were first dating, he's like, you know, I don't get it. Like, why do people need to come see you? And I'm just like, thanks, babe. That's (laughs) awesome. Uh, And, you know, my answer to him is think of it as a gift you've given yourself. You know, whenever in your life do you have a relationship with someone where it really is all about you, right? Someone comes in, like, my clients are lovely. They come in, they ask me how they are. It takes them, like, three minutes because my answer is a little bit longer. Um, But but the rest of the session is really about them. They don't have to reciprocate. They don't have to take care of my needs, right? Like, when we go for coffee or dinner with our friends, it's this kind of mutual back and forth. And we kind of have to listen and we kind of have to pay attention and we have to remember things like who they're – children's names are and things like that which I always forget and and so but in a therapeutic relationship it's just about you so eventually that's where clients kind of see the value of coming in with their partner is that it's just an hour about them it's not about the kids it's not about anything else about work it's just about them and couples don't spend enough time just talking about them right you come home and you're strategizing about how you're going to tackle all the different activities and obligations you have and so now you have this hour with this person who's going to just sit there and listen and provide you this safe space to talk through things that you don't talk to with anybody else and it's somebody with education and experience behind to be able to give you tips and tricks Mm. to succeed i see it as a huge benefit but it's yeah people like you nailed it like people have this illusion that it's like or you have to be really messed up to come right Right. like you have to be really in trouble and it's kind of like well sure but you know the average person who you know is at like 80 percent also has stuff that they could work on right like all of us could work on being a bit more balanced right all of us could work on being a bit more aware you know um and so i always kind of break my role down into kind of three things it's i'm one i'm a resource right so i provide resources for what's going on in the city what are different books what are classes you could take um, and then i'm the supportive um counselor the person who's gonna just listen to you um struggle through whatever you're struggling through and provide you um, that safe place and then the third piece that i provide people is that education piece right like I share my knowledge one of the things that I love doing with my clients especially couples is sharing my knowledge about human behavior and trying to understand that so um, so for me I feel like that's what makes me I think successful with my clients is that I'm just not there to sit and listen to them be upset um, but I actually have this active role of helping them work through whatever it is by providing them resources and then educating people. Because half the time, like, the things that we're struggling with in relationships, no one ever taught us. Like, people teach us math and science and history, and I can't even remember what poly whatever geometry is but I can tell you right now that I understand what love languages are right I understand the different ways that people conflict and no one ever taught us those things so sometimes I feel like that's you know the benefit of having someone like going into counseling is that you get to learn some of those things that you didn't get to learn that you were just supposed to know somehow yeah it's fascinating to me that there's really three things at play. Like if I were to go in for individual counseling, it's kind of all about me. But if I go in for couples counseling, there's me, there's my partner, and then there's the interdynamic in between the two. And any one of those three things could be wonderfully healthy or horribly damaged. Mm -hmm. And boy, that can be scary to enter into a a therapy session thinking, man, am I going to be judged? Mm -hmm. Is my partner going to be judged? Um, I, I guess... You know, this sounds like a really rewarding career. It sounds like a really fascinating career where no two cases are ever the same. Uh, can I ask, how did you get into counseling? And, and what's the most rewarding part of the job for you? Um, so I, I guess I got into counseling. This is my joke is because I can't do math. So <laughs> it was the only thing in university that didn't really need math. So I took it. And then I had to do a year-long stats course. And then I was really (laughs) upset about that because they don't tell you that stats is really like math. Um, But uh, so I got into it uh, mainly because 
I love building relationships with people. Um, apparently, I started talking when I was like nine months old, and now my <laughs> parents are just super happy to get paid to do it. So that's really exciting. But I, I feel like I really kind of had an interest in understanding human behavior, and I had an interest in helping people transform to a place where they could really learn to accept and embrace the person they are because I think there's like lots of rules in this world and I think we go about measuring ourselves against this um, stick that we can never reach and so part of what uh, I think I'm passionate about as a counselor and why I wanted to do this is um, to be able to provide some some a path forward you know uh, to help people create um, some some understanding of themselves so that they can see their strengths, work on their limitations, and be able to kind of move forward. So what's really rewarding for me is when I have clients sitting there and feel empowered by being who they are or where clients finally come in and say, you know what, Fleur, I was in this meeting the other day and I really messed up and instead of like going to the bathroom and crying, I told myself, you know, mistakes are okay. And so that's, it's little things like that. People will say things like, they're like, oh, well, you must just really like fixing people. And I'm like, listen, I didn't break them. I ain't going to fix them, right? <laughs> so uh, it isn't about fixing anybody because most people who come in are wonderful human beings already. I just really want people to know that they are and to embrace it and then to use that power to go out and then be amazing people in this world, right? So that's what I find like super rewarding. I, I don't even know what to say with that. <laughs> but it's like, it's it's always so empowering to hear that because it's, it is, it's about people tapping into their own potential and realizing it and how much that can spiral and impact the world. Mm -hmm. So thank you <laughs> on behalf of like human or mankind to encouraging that type of behavior because I feel it's something that yeah, I feel it's the first thing we give up on. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I, I'll help myself last. Yes, <laughs> totally. So there might be people sitting at home right now listening to the podcast <laughs> thinking, man, you know, this is totally different than what I was expecting uh, couples therapy was going to be. So is there uh, is there something that couples could do before they come see you? Like, what's, like what, in your opinion, would be a great client who would come and see you? Is there any pre-work that they can do before they come in and see you? How do they make the determination to come in and, and see you? Um, so I, I kind of, you know, any anyone who wants to explore their relationship is a great client. Someone who's like curious or even struggling or frustrated with their relationship and just wants it to be better, that's a great client, right? So I like clients that are fairly motivated, right, who are open to hearing some, some truths about, you know, their part in the dynamic. Um, you know, I really struggle with clients who, you just want me to tell their partner that they're the big giant mess and that they don't need to do anything. So I really like clients who are open to hearing how they can be different. Um, you know, I really like clients who are open to being vulnerable with me. Um, so one of the things I think that distinguishes the way I practice with somehow the way other other therapists practice is that I'm I'm brutally honest, right? So I will ask clients lots of questions, say about their sexual intimacy. And, you know, people are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, how often do you guys have sex? How do you like to have sex? You know, how old were you when you started having sex? And so I like clients who are not going to shy away from those questions. Now, I totally respect if people don't want to get into that first session or whatever, but I need to kind of know some of those details. So I want clients who are just really open to be getting to know themselves better through this process of interacting with someone who's wants to get to know them better how do you establish trust in the relationship when you get maybe a couple people come in and see you at the start and they go man you're a complete stranger we don't know who you are um is there is there things you do in the first couple sessions to help establish a trust to help establish a relationship with them yeah so i mean the rapport building part of the relationship which is kind of like um you know psych 101 when you think about you know when you're going to be a therapist the first thing you have to do is develop rapport so the way i do it is i use a lot of humor so I tend to be quite lighthearted. I'm a bit playful with my clients. Um, and 
you know, I start off by saying things like, you know, everything we talk about is confidential, which it is. Um, I won't share anything unless there's issues of safety. Um, and then I always say to them, you know, I'm going to ask you lots of questions. And at the end of the, our session, I'm going to let you know what I think. And then you can go away and decide if you want to come back, right? So, so part of it is empowering them from the get-go to say they don't have to be here if they don't want to be. Um, and then um, I think being a competent therapist so being able to share um, knowledge and being able to give them something to chew on I think that builds trust because a big part of um, the journey is people knowing or feeling at least that I have the knowledge to help them work through it Um, I do a lot of um, validating statements so probably the best way they develop trust is by helping clients feel like I get them So I'll say things like, okay, so Jill, you're telling me that what you're most frustrated about in your relationship is da 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 And so when Jill hears that I get what she's saying, that builds trust, right? And I don't, for the first session, often really tell people that they have to do anything, right? I basically say, you know, go away and tell me, like, go away and think about how this felt. And then, you know, if you feel like you want to come back and explore some of this some more, um we can do that um, and oftentimes um, the questions I ask in session is is enough for people to start being curious about themselves right so I'll start asking people their around their values and then they'll go away and think about it so but for me um, I think a lot of it is I'm a fairly open person sometimes I'll share some things about myself which I think d- like decreases that I'm the expert and you're the person who's messed up who's coming in to see me so I try to be as human as possible and um, so yeah, so those are just some of the things I do to develop trust, I think. And I would, I would assume that once you build that trust, it would be easier to go in those sensitive mm-hmm. areas. And the reason I'm kind of slingshotting back into this is because you mentioned about the sex life. Mm-hmm. Because maybe a lot of people, or maybe people would be curious, mm. what does a healthy sex life look like? I know it's probably not going to be a textbook for everybody, but... Uh, very educated person is sitting here in front of us telling us that hey guys wait a second it is an important piece of the relationship Mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit more about that sure I mean there's one of the things I try to stay away from is people will say to me well what's the normal amount of times people should have sex and I say well you know there's no such thing as normal particularly in the world that we're living in now right with open relationships same-sex relationships transgender relationships so the idea of normal is is really kind of not something that I promote in my practice so for me a really healthy sexual intimate relationship is based on the fact that two people enter each act of intimacy from a place of seeking personal pleasure so um so it doesn't really matter how many times but if you go in with the intent that I want to be pleasured by this person this is someone who I want to bring into my space that I want to share my most vulnerable self with and I want to be pleasured so that's like the first thing that I try to encourage um couples to try and get back to right because if you think about the beginning of the relationship that's kind of all we were doing right (laughs) we were just having a whole lot of sex because we really wanted to like have a lot of orgasms so I mean that's what we did and then eventually sex became about having babies and then sex came became about being monogamous and about showing me that you love me and then it became an obligation and a responsibility and this is what you're supposed to do and no wonder by the end of like three or five or ten years you're just like I'd rather watch Netflix and wash my hair than have sex. (laughs) It's just a lot of work and I know how it's going to end. So part of it, right, is how do people get back to this place of being intimate with their partner without it being about the orgasm or about it being about performance, but just about being pleasure. And so that can range from cuddling to kissing to to all sorts of different acts that two people kind of negotiate whether that's with words or touch or what have you so really sexual intimacy is this negotiation of pleasure um, and when you're entering into that enter into it as often as you like as as much energy as you have for it in order to have that so don't do it because you feel like it's Thursday night and we got we haven't had sex this week so we better get on it right or don't do it because you think well if I don't give it to him or her she's gonna he or she is gonna go out there and get it from someone else right so it's really about 
how do I get some pleasure in it? Because fundamentally, when you're having a good time, I can guarantee the other person's having a good time. See, and I love that too, because I know, and especially at the beginning of relationships, it could be more about the other person. But I love it how you're reframing <coughs> that to go into it from a pleasure-seeking kind of mm -hmm. look, because it's making you with the lens, hey, wait a second, I'm valued too. Mm -hmm. And that's an important piece. Mm -hmm. I can see as we go through this podcast episode that some of the myths about therapy are kind of getting destroyed here. You know, things that we might have thought about are not coming true. It's like, oh, you're not sitting around judging one of the two spouses. You're not, it's not beating up on the one spouse or the other spouse. There's a lot of uh, differences here in the podcast and what I was expecting going into it. Can you um, smash some of the myths about the counseling therapy business? What are some of the biggest myths that you run into? Anything you want to set the record straight on? Um, well, that we're here to shrink people's brains, right? Like that I'm a brain shrinker or something, you're a shrink or whatever. So I really, like, I your brain is your brain, and I'm happy to just help you figure out what's going on in there. Um, so one of the greatest myths um, that and why, you know, not to be gender specific, but why sometimes men can be a bit fearful is that they're afraid that if they go into counseling that the therapist, myself, will tell them that they don't belong together, they need to get divorced, and that they never should have procreated to begin with, right? Which is so untrue, right? Like, fundamental people come in, and I just think, oh, you guys are so cute. I bet your wedding pictures were really fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so that's one of the myths. The other myth is that I'm failing, Right. That's the other myth right. is that I'm a failure if I have to go to a therapist. We're a failure as a couple because we can't figure this out. Mm. Um, and so people don't want to come into counseling and admit that they're not perfect. And I wonder if some of that is and I'm totally just throwing this out there. Mm. I could be totally way off base. But I wonder if that is in some way related to the fact that we view therapy as like going to see a doctor. And I can, you know, and not that I want to speak on behalf of all men, but mm -hmm. I know for myself, especially as a younger guy, mm -hmm. you only go see the doctor if something's wrong. Totally. And so we kind of have that stigma attached to doctors where it's like, well, if I'm broken, they will put me back mm -hmm. together again. And I wonder if that's unfairly been transferred over totally. into the therapy. Yeah, totally. Like, and that's, again, where people come in and say, you know, I need to get fixed or this person needs to get fixed. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know what you think I'm going to do about that, right? Um, but yeah, like I... I think people think that therapy, you only do therapy if things are broken. And that might be why a lot of people get motivated initially because they are struggling. But um, continuing in therapy is fundamentally about that transformative role. And I mean, that's where my practice probably is a little bit different in the sense that I, you know, I have clients in my practice who I've been seeing for, I don't know, 15 years. And people are just like, well, you're not very good at your job. <laughs> you know, like this person's obviously not getting better. And it's kind of like, well, it's not really about better necessarily just about deeper and transformative and you know imagine having someone in your life who has your personal history for 15 years like this is why we have family doctors that we hang on to right so imagine someone who has that kind of access to your journey as a mentally healthy well person right and the struggles that you've had um, and then having that relationship with them knowing that you can call them you, you like when you have a crisis and things like that so um so yeah so that's the other like the real struggle people have is, you know, that I, I'm, I, I failed and I'm broken and that's why I'm coming. And, and yet that might be what got you in, but it's not what's going to keep you in. In my practice anyways, I know lots of people have these kind of more acute cases and they're crisis orientated and then they get them settled and then off they go. But I find for people, they just, they tend to stay for a while in my practice. So, which I really enjoy. Okay. Because we have you sitting in the chair next to us, I kind of want to ask from a counselor's perspective, mm -hmm. what makes a good relationship? Hmm. Maybe some, yeah, like things that you, characteristics you see in relationships that you think are really good qualities or some stuff that people can do to help kind of hmm. beef up the relationship. Um, so what makes a healthy relationship is... Um, not expecting your partner to be you. <laughs> um, so instead of being hurt by or offended by someone doing something because it's something you would never do, it's understanding who your partner is, right? So like, back to the beginning of what we were talking about, how opposites attract, what ends up happening is we start to see this person's behavior or words through our filters. And the problem is, is our filter and their filter is completely different. So, so what makes a really healthy relationship is when you understand your partner's filter, right? So one of the more 
um, fundamental conflicts that couples get into is when an introvert is with an extrovert, right? So an introvert who goes to work all day long, uses all their words, comes home, completely bagged, can't socialize anymore, has nothing left. Meanwhile, the extrovert has gone to work and just totally jazzed up and can't wait to talk about everything that happened you know you come home and your partner kind of looks at you blankly and and isn't really engaged and you think well you must not love me because you're not really interested and meanwhile your partner's just like I just have nothing left so being able to appreciate the differences is what actually makes a relationship really healthy and not just even appreciate them but admire them in your partner right like admire the qualities that your partner brings and how they do kind of compliment you so again what attracted us at the beginning is the difference and so how do you keep that as the focus that just because this person is different doesn't mean that they're wrong right that's such a powerful statement knowing your partner's filter is so simple but so powerful. It's like, oh, this other person may not value the exact same things that I do. Totally. What, so I a think great, it, what a great statement. Yeah, like going back to what you said earlier, Fleur, about say, staying curious. Mm-hmm. I think that would allow you to kind of, because you might know the filters at the beginning, but like as individuals, we grow. So I love the pitch that you said earlier about staying curious, because then that would allow you to have the current up-to-date filters of what your partner actually has. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I try to, that I feel is um, important in a healthy relationship is not keeping a ledger, right? Like not not going through the back and forth. Oh, I gave in last time, so you have to give in this time. Um, it's not about coming into your corners in a boxing match and saying, well, I'm not going to do anything until you do anything. Oftentimes the hardest thing about uh, relationship counseling and really where people fall off is when I say to them, you know, you're going to have to commit to being the best partner for the next six months regardless of what your partner does. And both people's their mouths drop open when I say this because they're just like, well, why would I do that? And I'm like, up because you want to stay together right like that's why you're here and so they're like well why would I do that if they're not going to do anything and I and I basically say well just think about it if both of you are practicing love in a way that you know you feel is your most authentic self and and the other person is doing the same can you imagine what would happen to your relationship instead of saying well I'm not going to do this until he does that or she does that waiting for the other person to make the first move and this is how we get into a stalemate so I mean that's probably one of the key transformative roles um, I think I play is to help people get away from this idea that I'm not going to do something until I'm rewarded for it it's kind of like do it now and if the reward happens great and then people will say well what if what if in the end we end up apart I always say, well, then you know that you did everything you can, that you could have done in this relationship, that you loved your partner as best as you could. And if in the end it doesn't work out, well, you know what? You can take those skills and love someone else. Wow. Beautiful. That's fantastic. (laughs) Forget what I said about the free session. I'm sending you a check. (laughs) This is fantastic. Now, you must see some people... As much as you know, it, it's painful to, to think about. We must you, you must see some people that are somewhat damaged, somewhat hurting. Maybe they don't have the necessary life skills, mm. and as much as their dynamics as a couple might be in sort in a sad state of affairs, individually there might be some work as well. What's the most challenging part of your job? What's the most challenging part of your career? And I wonder too. I'll just tack on to this: Is it tough to stay? Um, clinically separated from them when really a huge piece of your job is to care about them yeah so I, I, I I'm not I'm not a clinician that stays separated from my clients actually I mean that's one of the things that I think again um, has allowed me to be successful in my practice is that um, I am bonded to my clients I do care what happens the difference is, is that I'm not invested in the outcome per se like I'm invested that people are well but I don't um, hold them hostage for it, if, if you know what I mean. I don't expect them to change. I want them to change. I want them to find this, like, really peaceful place in their life. But if they don't, I like them 
equally the same, right? So if, if people will say to me, oh, Flora, you must be so tired. Week, week, week after week, I'm in here and I'm complaining about the same thing. And I'm just like, if you're not ready yet, like you're still gathering information, we're still trying to process stuff. So when you're ready, I'm sure you'll get there, right? And if you don't, I'll kick your ass a bit and hopefully that'll get you moving. But, you know, um, for the most part, it's it's what we call the unconditional positive regard. There's a therapeutic term for you. It's Carl Rogers, I think, from a million years ago. Um, so it's the idea that you just see this person in the most positive way and help build their strengths. And regardless of outcome, you're just happy that they're putting one foot in front of the other. See, and having that person in your corner, my God, how could, like, what a positive, beautiful, encouraging thing. Mm-hmm. So how, uh, I guess I just get so <laughs> baffled with how people think it's only something you go to when things are so bad. Right. I think it's just an opportunity for us to put ourselves in such a fruitful environment mm-hmm. that we can just blossom from. So yeah, and what I really appreciate is that I don't hear any judgment coming out of you. I don't hear I don't hear you saying, you know, if someone does come in with some issues, that you're gonna really beat them up about it. You're gonna say, look, my job's to help you, mm-hmm. and you might be in great shape, you might be in sad shape, mm-hmm. but either way, you're I'm gonna help lift you up and move you along mm-hmm. as best as I can. And I mean, I think to go back to your question about what's the hardest part of my job is maintaining that hope for people, right? So um, honestly, there are some people um, who, I mean, their lives are really terrible. And some days, like, I feel like the only thing I can say is, yeah, that sucks. I don't know (laughs) what you're going to do about that, right? Like, so part of what makes it hard for me is how do I maintain hope for people when they've lost it for themselves? So many couples, by the time they've come uh, to session, they've lost hope. Like they really don't think that they can fix it and they just, they're, they're dire, right? So, so sometimes when people come in, part of what's hard is maintaining hope because there does, there has been a few times where like I've worked with people and I've had to say to them, you know, I don't know that you guys are the best match. Like, I just don't know if given the diversity or, or the, the difference in some of your values, whether you're ever going to be able to find that, that happy win-win situation where you're both enhancing each other's lives. So that's really hard when I have to be on that honest with couples. Um, Is that what code, is that what codependency means? Is that the idea that they're in like an unhealthy relationship, but they somehow need each other? um, I'm always curious what the term codependency means. So yeah, yeah, sure. So codependency is um, when you don't know where, you start and your partner ends so it's this kind of enmeshment of two people where you're not sure who you are as an individual without this person in your life so um, that doesn't sound very healthy no because (laughs) if we go back to the very beginning about like the honda civic right like how do you enhance somebody if you don't know you know what what you you're bringing to the table right so um so yeah, codependency, and it's often a word that people will use more with kind of, um, you know, addiction, um, addiction type relationships where there's some form of substance abuse or something like that, or process addiction, gambling, internet, or what have you. So um, it, it, it kind of was born out of that, but it, it de- definitely transfers into relationships where there isn't an addiction of some sort, um, and people just feeling very much kind of unable to distinguish self from other um do you get do you get sometimes get clients who will come in and fully expected to be there for the hour and they're really excited to be there and then they get a little bit disappointed when you give them homework to do and they actually have to work on their relationship outside of the hour i'm just curious what the mindset is of a new client that comes in and they think okay i'm going to see the doctor for an hour and then i can go live my normal life afterwards and i'm guessing you encourage them to do the Mm. work all the time every day not just the hour that they spend with you yeah like I often say to people like this hour is not going to be nearly as effective as the hours you spend in between Um, so because really the impact of one hour you know every two weeks or whatever if people are coming in that frequently um, is quite minimal it's what you're doing in between so you know lots of it's different everyone's different people feel like they haven't got their money's worth unless I'm giving them lots of homework or giving them a book to read or something like that. And then there's people who just aren't homework-based. So I'd, I'd say that it's really dependent on the person. Um, some people do just want to come and unload and just they're not really 
And so, and for some couples, it, it'll take me like three or four sessions anyways to get their family history, to understand their dynamic, to get all the different um, aspects of their relationship before I fully understand it. So sometimes there's not a lot of homework at the beginning. Um, and I'm not kind of a homework, homework um, like I, I, sometimes I don't remember the homework I give people, sure. which is terrible. They'll come in, they're like, we didn't do our homework. I'm like, that's okay. And I'm like, what the heck did I tell them to do? Um, so, uh, so for me, it's not really about that. Like for me, it's more about trying to reinforce um, different habits, different routines. The big one is just awareness. That's like my number one homework that I give people is just go away and be aware. Like, how did this impact you? Check in with yourself. What did you notice shifting this week? Um, people don't like that very much because they're just like, well, I don't know what you mean. And I'm like, well, tell me what your big toe felt like all week long. Like that's <laughs> awareness, right? Um, so yeah, so people are really different as far as the homework piece. I, and I'm not big on homework really, but well, because we have you here and we can like pick your brain, I'm sure the whole day. And that's, <laughs> I really just want to touch on a little bit about communication okay. because like, I think relationships and I think, well, you know, communication, it's gotta be a huge piece and I'm sure it's not this small definition. Mm. Can you walk us through what healthy communication would look like in a good relationship? So there's certain words that go with communication, I think, that people um, uh, struggle with. So the type of communication that I try to um, teach my clients is vulnerable communication. So this is where you say what you mean and mean what you say, right? So there's no game playing, there's no hedging, there's no managing the relationship. It's about being in the relationship. So um, that comes with transparent communication that comes with assertive communication um so communication for me is healthy communication is when we feel safe enough to say exactly what's on our mind to not have to you know think three different ways of asking the question um to try and get that particular answer right so for me vulnerable communication is where you're not anticipating what the part your partner is going to say, but rather just being willing to accept whatever it is that they do say based on the fact that you need to say what you need to say. So being authentic in, in just bringing your true self into that, um, that arena of wanting to be curious and wanting to understand what's going on with your partner. Um, one of the things that I try to teach uh, couples in particular is to practice meta communication, which is, talking about talking right so I'll often ask couples once they are in their kind of dance I call it that someone call a timeout so someone will just do like call a timeout and then they what we would do is then talk about how they're talking to each other right so so it's kind of like okay Jill when you said that what did you actually mean by that what was your truth about that statement and you know, and Carl, when you said to Jill, well, I don't know, the last time I did the dishes, da, 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 what were you feeling about that, right? So it's, it's no, it, because people can get into this, like, real battle about semantics. And, you know, someone will react to what we call their hot words, right? So sometimes to pull them out of that, I just get them talking about what they were talking about. So metacommunication is a very effective tool that I use with my couples because it pulls them out of the emotion of it and helps them get back into kind of what I call their adult rational brain where their emotions aren't kind of clogging all that stuff up. So Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned the hot buttons because I can imagine couples that have been together for years and years, they may not like each other, but boy, they sure know how to push each other's buttons. Totally. So it's a real incendiary relationship because... Mm -hmm. Not only am I angry, but I know exactly how to get under your skin. And totally. boy, that can be a powerful, scary situation for someone on the receiving end to be in. Mm -hmm. And that's why sometimes when people do use each other's hot buttons and things like that, I'll, I'll call a timeout during session because I soon learn what their hot buttons are, right? So I'll call a timeout and say, you know, that really, you know, that just felt like um, your way of trying to exit this um, this dynamic. So I'm just wondering, you know, what, how come you're not feeling safe right now? So that's, again, the value of having that third person in the room who's, you know, not on anyone's side, but just trying to figure out, you know, how, how are you each trying to get across? How are you trying to negotiate your needs in the relationship? Because that's fundamentally the whole point of communicating is getting your needs met. But then I 
would assume too by practicing that with you mm-hmm. it would help them be able to do that by themselves as well mm-hmm. and not only being able to like because my god if somebody could just stop us when, when, yes. we're, when we've been <laughs> triggered wouldn't that be an amazing yeah. thing it's almost like you're sitting in a room with a respected professional and you can model good behavior for that hour mm-hmm. and then you can maybe take some of those good habits away and say oh I'll, we'll try this on our own it may work it may not work but at least we have an attempt at it whereas i think without that help they might not know to even stop and say whoa you know i like the idea of setting almost like a ground rule mm-hmm. for if you're going to have a fight or a disagreement or if you're going to be honest with yourself i like that idea of saying well let's talk about the actual act of talking about it that's neat and then i'm sure when they come back to you like how can you not bond when you do that like mm-hmm. when you're able to speak your real truth and show up with the other person and talk about how something is really bothering you how can that not add to a positive relationship mm-hmm. totally i wanted to ask a question um and I guess I'm in, in my mind, I'm trying to draw a parallel, and this might not be accurate, but I'm trying to draw a parallel between someone going through, say, physical therapy, you know, rehabbing a piece of their body that may be damaged and, and working on a relationship that's damaged. Mm-hmm. And there could be some pain involved, and things might get worse before it gets better. Is that a common trend that you see where yes. things start off really good, and then they might get really bad for a while, and then they come out at the other end going, wow, this was, we're even better than we were before. Mm-hmm. Is that is that? Yep, and Common. I actually outline that for couples. Oh, when interesting. they first come okay. in, I say to them, okay, so what's going to happen is in the first two to four sessions, you're going to fly out of here and you guys are going to feel like you're on cloud nine because you're putting all this work into your relationship and you're feeling like the other person is invested and we're changing some of the dynamics, you're learning new words, and you're going to feel really good. And, and then I said from, from about session five to about session 15, we're all going to hate each other for a while <laughs> because then we're going to really be digging into the, the tough stuff, the stuff where it's going to be about really making some of those changes internally, um, stopping yourself from going back into the dance. Um, and then there's going to be then a reprieve from some of that um, and things start to kind of settle into a new plateau and then things kind of that's where I kind of get people into the maintenance piece where they're just maybe coming in once a month and we're just tweaking here and there and then inevitably there is kind of some kind of crisis that challenges the relationship um, which then can trigger them to either go back to the old dynamic which isn't completely gone quite yet and the new dynamic which isn't completely embodied yet and so that's when we then have to do that dance all over again but yeah I definitely say to people like you guys are going to feel really good after the first couple sessions and you're going to feel like okay I think we could stop after four but I'm really going to encourage you and not because you know I need to pay my mortgage but because you you're going to get into the good stuff after that um and then I find that once people kind of get past that tough stuff one of the things that they kind of realize is the resilience of the relationship they realize that the foundation of the relationship is actually far stronger than they had initially had given it credit for because it had felt so hurtful for a period of time and then you see you know, wow, like we are pretty committed to each other that we're willing to kind of spend the time, the energy, the resources to really figure out what's going on and how to make our relationship better. It's almost like you give them an opportunity over the course of the sessions to get vulnerable and almost ask themselves, you know, why did I fall in love with this person in the first place? And then get to fall in love with each other all over again. Totally. That's the best part. And of the person who they are today, not the person that they were 20 years ago. And who the person they're going to be 20 years from now, right? Like, it's that practice of how do you continue to practice love um, with this person who's going to continue to evolve and continue to drive you crazy. And that's okay. And I always say people who, like, I'm far more hopeful for a couple who are actually conflicting than a couple who are indifferent to one another like indifference is really like kind of the killer is when people come in they're like oh it's been such a tough week we seem to be like fighting about everything I'm like that's awesome because it means you're talking it means you're invested it it means that your your personalities or your authentic selves are probably showing up that's awesome and they look at me and they're just like okay (laughs) and I think that's so neat too that that life isn't always easy and I think we're, we're kind of conditioned in this day and age that if something's hard or if something's difficult that that's somehow a negative. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you saying is, oh, no, real communication, re- being a real person with another real person, it's not always going to be roses. 
Nope. We're going to be dealing with the reality. And the reality is sometimes we are crabby or we are not our best selves or there could be a life circumstance that presents itself. And being a resilient couple can really help you get through those times. Mm-hmm. So, Fleur, before we kind of wrap up for today, mm-hmm. I know all of our listeners are probably just trying to get a little bit more, mm-hmm. maybe know something that they can do to help make that relationship uh, blossom a little bit more. So is there anything uh, that we haven't touched on already that you feel is essential for an individual to be able to bring maybe to a relationship um, or practice, I would say? I think understanding, so a couple things, there's um, a couple really good resources out there that I you know will always work with clients around is you know, understanding your love language. So um, Gary Chapman has written this amazing book. I think everyone's read it. It's pretty simple. It's it's nothing earth shattering, but it helps create um, common language for a couple is understanding how do you like to be loved? How does your partner like to be loved? And how do you make the effort to love your partner? Not the way it's easy for you to love them, but the way they like to be loved. So, um, so that's one of probably one of the fundamental things because when we're negotiating needs if you know kind of what you're needing and how you need that how that need is going to be met by your partner um, then that's something your partner can be successful at you can give them you know a few things to work on to practice loving their partner to the best of their ability and that's the four love languages. Five love five, languages. Five, yeah. I'm five. missing one. You're missing one. One. <laughs> one more language to go. But just so everybody has that book to yes. walk away with, it's yeah. the five love languages. And, yeah. and who's Gary, the author? Gary Chapman. Wonderful. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Great. It's a purple book. Yeah. Fantastic. So, okay. So just to kind of uh, bring a close to this awesome session, first of all, Fleur, so grateful to have you not only in today's studio, but obviously to have you in my life so beautiful to have encouraging aware people to help kind of keep you on that road you know like on that track so I just want to say first of all thank you so much for taking the time out of your immensely busy life to come sit and chat with myself and Carl today I'm happy thank you so much for having me it's you know, one of those things that happens when you're, you've been practicing for a long time is you kind of forget what you know until people ask you the questions. So this is a real, um, a good reminder. Um, and I really appreciate it because it reminds me that maybe I do kind of know what I'm talking about, that people don't just like to come for my candies. Um, and so, yeah, so thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Fleur. And thank you for listening to the Power Yourself podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this interview, and we hope you enjoyed all of our episodes so far. We encourage you to join us on social media. We have a Facebook page called Power Yourself. We encourage you to like us, follow us. Hey, why not ask a question or leave a comment? We want to encourage you to get involved. So until next time, I'm Carl. I'm Jill. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye for now. Bye.